everybody. So uh, before we dive into the message today, I have a question for you all. And I'm curious, um, has anybody been seeing, you can just, by show of hands, has anybody been seeing God do something miraculous in your finances yet over the last few weeks? Two? That's amazing. Three? Four? Five? Okay, this is exciting. I felt like the Holy Spirit was reminding me, hey, remember how we talked in January about financial miracles? I was like, oh yeah, we need to see if that's happening yet because I really believe this is something that's on God's heart for all of us. So um, if you are in any kind of need, like God's put something in your heart and you're believing for it, continue to believe for it because I don't say that lightly. I genuinely believe um, there's some really cool stuff that God wants to do. We're actually praying. I'm personally praying for um, supernatural debt cancellation. So be looking for for that, for any of you guys that are um, even like student loans or stuff like that, that you know, those kind of loans that take forever to pay off. Um, it's been on my heart to see God do something really awesome with that. So, okay, um, I want to plug this book one more time. I'm sure all of you guys are like, Rachel, we get it. We've all read it. Move on. But um, my mother kindly pointed out, I talked about this two weeks ago and never actually said the title. So if you guys are watching, here's the title. How Heaven Invades Your Finances by Jim Baker. This guy, Jim Baker, is the one Brandon was just talking about. No relation to the previous Jim Baker that was a televangelist. Um, he is an amazing pastor, and he will be here hopefully in the fall. We're trying to work that out with all the craziness of this. But a lot of what we're teaching from comes out of this book, or I should say he says it really succinctly in this book. A lot of what we're teaching over this God and Money series is, um, is really practical things, comes from the word, and I just love the way he sums it up. So if you're looking for a concise way, check that out. All right, I wanted to do a little bit of a recap before we dive into today's topic. So we're in God and Money week three, and today we're actually talking about spiritual warfare with your finances. So should be an interesting, fun, roaring good time. Um, but if you have been with us or been watching the last couple of weeks of messages, we talked two weeks ago as we kicked off this series about the filter that we see God. You guys remember Grant echoed this quote again last week from Dallas Willard, all human troubles come from thinking of God wrongly. And talking about how this sort of fundamental idea that when we have a problem, it's, it's usually rooted in something we're misunderstanding about God. And so we spent a lot of time talking about how to renew our minds to, to get a better filter, a better understanding of who God is. And it begins with looking at the person of Jesus. And then last week, Grant talked an amazing message about the God who provides. You guys remember this? So he dove into the story of Elijah being fed by birds at one point, by angels at another point, by a widow at one point, and just all this supernatural provision. And the idea behind that is that God is a provider, and he has promised to be our provider. But the source that he provides through is subject to change. Right? So I like to say God has promised to provide. He has not promised to always have filet mignon on your plate. So sometimes we get off in our perception of God because we were thinking, wow, this was a really good thing, Lord, when you were doing that, and, and now you're not doing that anymore, so you must not be providing. And God's going, no, 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 I have permission to change the source in different seasons. So I think that's particularly pertinent for us right now in this moment in time because as people lose jobs or change jobs, we have to remember God is going to provide the next thing for you. It's a fact. So today we're going to sort of, those were some background kind of big picture perspectives and today we're kind of starting to get a little bit more practical and we're going to be uber practical in the weeks to come just talking about 
our money and how to align it with God. So today we're talking about mammon and the poverty spirit. So uh, you're welcome. It's going to be fun. Um, so I want to say one other thing too in our recap that, you know, we've been talking about how our big idea of this whole series is the stewardship principle, right? That everything God has given to you, every dollar in your bank account, every car in your garage, every, you know, clothing in your closet, everything you have is resource from God. And the goal of the Christian life, in our opinion, is to learn to steward his resources, to begin to recognize that they don't actually belong to us, they belong to God. Now, when we go back to last week's message that God is a good provider, he's gonna take care of what you need and some of what you want too, right? Because he's a good dad. But when we begin to shift our perspective and say, all right, Lord, every dollar that comes into my hand is not mine to do with what I want. It's yours to instruct me what to do with it. Life gets really fun. And I'm gonna say it like that because I'm telling you, God is a better provider than you could ever be for yourself. And uh, he likes to have fun with that. All right. So we're going to dive into our kickoff scripture today, which is Matthew 6, 24. I think if I had a favorite chapter of the Bible in the running, in the top running would be Matthew 6. I love it. I love how Jesus is just straight to the point about so many things. We've talked about Matthew 6 quite a lot this year, actually. And I love how it feels as pertinent today as I'm sure it did back then when he said it originally. You guys know that? It's like, you're talking straight to my face, Jesus. I love it. So in this scripture, we're reading it from the Passion Translation because I think it does a really... Uh, good job. So here we go. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That actually, uh, in the Passion Translation, I don't know how I got on there wrong. It's my fault. But it says you cannot serve the God of, uh, you cannot serve the true God and the God of money. Okay? So why is this important? Because mammon and money are not the same thing. In some translations of the Bible, maybe this was like a good accidental slip for us to see. In some translations, it says you cannot serve God and money. But the actual literal translation is God and mammon. Why? Because mammon is the principality behind money. So if you guys remember, a couple weeks ago I shared this with you, that money, the actual currency, the literal dollars and cents, has no morality. Remember? It's not good or bad. It just is. It becomes good or bad when it's applied to someone's heart. It amplifies what's already in your heart, right? So what Jesus is saying to the people at that time and to you and I is this. You cannot serve two gods at the same time. In fact, Jesus is just echoing what God said to Moses on the mountain with the Ten Commandments. You guys remember this? Commandment number one, love the Lord your God. You can't have any other gods, no other gods but me. Why? Because Jesus understands to serve a God requires time, attention, energy, money. It requires a lot of you, and the human being doesn't have enough to go around serving all these different agendas. And what Jesus is telling us is, mammon has an agenda for your life. So does Jesus, which you guys know that. But mammon, and for that matter, every principality that's out there. What's a principality? So Ephesians 6 talks a little bit about principalities. There's a difference between principalities, or what we might call territorial spirits, than the ones that are like the familiar spirits that are trying to afflict you, or maybe even possess you if you don't know Jesus. You guys familiar with this concept? We have a lot of teaching on spiritual warfare in the podcast if this is news to you. But territorial spirits or principalities, they're not looking to possess you. That's not what they do. 
Think about it like this, like um, on the radio frequency, right? So right now, coming through the air are all of these channels. Every radio station, the, the, the frequency is actually in the air right now. When we tune our radio to, I don't listen to the radio, so what's one? Anybody? Country music. What's the country music one? Anybody know it? No? What, thank you, Tama. 101.9. So I crank my dial to 101.9, and all of a sudden, I'm going to hear something. And that something was being broadcast the whole time, right? You guys know this. It's when I tune my ear. Our old neighborhood, there were two brothers that lived about four houses down from each other, and they both created those um, synchronized light shows in their front yard. You, you may have driven by it. It's not too far from here. And they put out a little sign in the front yard, turn your radio to this, and it plays the music to watch the show in your car, right? It's amazing. And, um, and so we have to understand that the spiritual world is working like this. Jesus is giving you an agenda through the word, through the Holy Spirit, through the angelic activity around you, through his voice to your spirit, all these things. And also, the other principalities are trying to do that as well. So when we tune our frequency to mammon, we become indoctrinated to the way mammon thinks. So it's a different thing than being possessed. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm going somewhere with this, so you know, hang on with me. When Jesus is making this statement, what he's saying is you cannot serve me and mammon because eventually you're going to have, like, you're going to despise one of us. Why? Because when you are being indoctrinated by the kingdom of heaven, which I hope we all are, when we are, are tu we're tuned in, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to be your steward. I want to live like you live. I recognize that you are the king of kings. I recognize your way is the way. On and on and on. When then we come under his indoctrination. And when we are in this place, we look at what mammon is trying to do, and we're like, oh, that's bad. I don't want that in my life. The same is true when we allow mammon to tell us how to use our money. We're going to get specific on this in a second. But when we allow mammon to tell us how to think, what to buy, how to be, where to find our identity, all that kind of stuff, then we begin to look at Jesus and his kingdom and say, oh, I don't want to do that. That doesn't seem to serve my purposes. So Jesus calls mammon out. Why? Because no matter where you are in the world, money exists. Right? So mammon is not money. Mammon is the spirit trying to use money for its own gain for the agenda of the kingdom of darkness. All right. Let's get really specific here. When you give your wallets to the Lord, you can expect the enemy to try and take it back. It's just a fact. When you give your wallet to the Lord, when you give your heart to the Lord, when you give anything to the Lord, you are gaining ground in the kingdom, and the enemy does not want to lose that ground in your life. That's why things get hard. So my hope by the end, I'm just going to give you my spoiler alert, my hope by the end of this message is that all of you guys are like, oh, I don't want anything to do with mammon. That's where we're going, okay? If you decide that at the end of this and you go, all right, Lord, I'm in, I'm in, I'm out of the thinking of mammon, I'm into your kingdom and your thinking, then that's your declaration of your heart, right? But I just want to say up front, making a declaration is not enough to convince the enemy of how you are, okay? So this is a spiritual warfare principle that applies to any topic you can think about, but this is really important for us today. Commitment is not enough to send the enemy away. Commitment in your heart. How do I know this? Because consistent actual practice, the actual habits of your life, 
is what sends the enemy away. Think about it like this. The enemy will come until he is convinced that you are convinced that you're free. Let me say that to you one more time. The enemy is going to come at you until he is convinced that you are convinced that you're free. So I make a declaration in my heart. I'm done with this. I'm not doing this anymore. Done, right? My declaration is set. That alone is not enough. The enemy's not going to go, oh, well, that's what she said, so, you know, let's not waste our time anymore. No, no, no. He's going to keep coming. He's going to keep testing. He's going to keep tempting until all of his efforts are futile. This is actually what Ephesians 6 says. When you've done everything to stand, right? When you have prayed, when you have fasted, when you have chosen, when you've repented, when you've done everything, when you've bind and loosed, when you've prayed, you know, the whole deal. Even after all of that, when you are still standing, in con you're convinced, that's when the enemy flees. That's when he walks away. So when we're talking about restoring and renewing our minds related to finances, we have to understand that making a commitment in our heart is not enough. It's step one, very important step, but it's not the whole thing. So when you get into this process, it takes time. So um, I'm going to share a couple of personal stories in a little bit, but I think when Grant and I kind of began this process of saying, all right, God, we're giving you complete control over our wallets, it was like all this temptation comes, right? Uh, think about it like when you're fasting. Has anybody, has anybody ever done this? God tells you, I want you to fast, and you show up to work the next day, and that's the day they catered lunch from your favorite restaurant. And you're like, are you kidding me? Lord, you couldn't have said fast Wednesday. You had to pick Monday, right? And God's going, yeah, I did. I wanted to see what's in your heart. I want to see the commitment. I want to see the follow-through from the commitment. The enemy is the same way. It's like, Lord, okay, I'm committed. I'm not going to do the thing of famine, right? And then the next day, you get a windfall of some kind of money, and it's like, I did want that new thing. So don't be surprised. The enemy is going to come at you until he's convinced that you are convinced that you're free. Okay, let's talk about some types of warfare around money. So today I want to specifically talk about the poverty spirit and the orphan mentality. And then I want to talk um, very practically about mammon as well. But I don't know if you guys are familiar with the poverty spirit. Has anybody ever heard this term before? Okay, have you heard the term of the orphan mentality or the orphan spirit? Anybody heard that? Awesome. So the, I'm going to give a recap, but the, the gist is that the poverty spirit... I believe, you know, the Bible talks about things called familiar spirits. My personal opinion, and you are free to disagree because this is America, but my personal opinion is this, that there are these demonic forces, demonic spirits that love to plague your family line. And so they'll want you to do the same bad things that your parents and your grandparents and their grandparents did. The Bible actually talks about this, right? That uh, the sins of the father are passed down the third and fourth generation. In fact, if you know much about the way that DNA is created uh, at conception, that actually, this is crazy, and I don't have all the, I wish I could show you a picture because it's out there, but basically your grandparents' DNA gets literally zipped into the DNA of the fertilized egg at conception. So all of the patterns of life that your previous parents, grandparents, and great-parents, great-grandparents, it goes back three generations. Interesting how it confirms the Bible, just saying. 
Uh, but it's all zipped into you. And then I heard a pastor say this one time, and I thought, that is fascinating, that there comes a point in your life where the enemy begins to come at you in the same way he came at your parents and your grandparents, etc. And when that happens, if you begin to come into agreement with that, all of the coding of that DNA is unzipped into your DNA. It's fused together. Woo. Group hug. We're okay. Thank you, Jesus, by his blood, right? But it's fascinating why it's so hard to break out of the patterns of our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents. But I am telling you today, there is freedom for you. So the poverty spirit is one of these things that gets sort of passed down. It's not, that's not really the right way to think about it, but think about it like a mentality. What is the poverty spirit? It's the idea that you never have enough. That you're always lacking something, that, that you are always the one who's being kind of like uh, David in the Bible. All the kids are presented because they could be the king and the dad doesn't even bother to bring him in from the field because he's worthless in his dad's eyes. That's what the poverty spirit does. It just convinces you that you're nothing, that you don't have an opportunity, that you're never going to get a break, that God meant all of this for everyone but you. The poverty spirit, I think, works to push people into the orphan mindset. And the orphan mindset is as simple as it says. When you look at an orphan that's a child, they have two basic needs. In fact, every child has two basic needs at the most base level. Provision and protection, right? They need to be safe. They need to have food. Provision and protection. When you grow up without someone to give that to you, without a stable person to give that to you, then you actually develop this mindset that you have to do that for yourself, you guys are familiar with this, right? So the poverty spirit works through like demonic force to convince you to move into the orphan mentality, all of that to keep you back from God. So a few years ago, I don't know, this may be like six years ago, Grant and I had moved to Oklahoma City to begin the process of planting this church and we had some savings we were living off of, and God had led him to this job that was working part-time for a global missions organization. And we knew that was the job that he was supposed to have. So I wasn't frustrated, like, you know, are you going to go get a second job? Like, where's the rest of the income going to come from? Because I knew that was the calling. But I was looking at God going, where is your provision, Papa? That thing you tell everybody you're going to do. And at this point in our life, we had seen God provide time and time again. Okay, So I knew he would. I just didn't know how. And I got to sort of the end of my rope because, let's just be honest, first world problems. I wanted my kids to go to Mother's Day out, but we couldn't afford it. Okay, So it wasn't like we were destitute. We had enough money to pay our bills, so I want that to be like a grid. But the extra stuff was not a possibility. And one night we were talking about this, and uh, have you ever had one of those out-of-body moments where all of a sudden you start hearing the words you're saying, and you're like, what is that, right? That's what happened to me. It was like midnight. We're almost asleep, and all of a sudden I'm going, Grant, we need to talk about should I get a job? This is like midnight, right? He's probably already half asleep, and he's like, this is not the time to have that conversation. And I was like, um, before I tell you what I, what I said, you need to know this about me. I hate Starbucks which is unfortunate because of who I'm married to. And you guys all know Grant lives at Starbucks. He is born under the coffee bean sign. And so I, I hate Starbucks. I hate the smell. Like when he comes home and he's been there all day, I'm just like, when I have to drive his car and he's been there, it's like the windows are down. I'm like, get it out. I don't like Starbucks, okay? This is a great example of how you can agree to disagree, right? So um, 
So I don't like Starbucks, and I am not a morning person. I'm telling you, the hours before 6.30 a.m. do not exist on my clock. Okay, so now that you know that about me, we're laying there in bed, and I said, maybe I just need to go get, like, the 5 a.m. shift at Starbucks and just, like, make some money. And that was my first indicator. Something was very, very wrong, okay? But I was thinking that because I'm like, you could, you know, we could stagger with the kids. We could figure this out. And I, it probably was the smell, the, the conjured memory of the smell of the beans, but I just became like irate, like the, the dragon inside like awoke, you know? And I wasn't yelling at him. I started yelling full volume. Do you remember this? How could you forget? I started yelling full volume at God. Okay, I'm laying there in my bed and I'm like, I'm just saying, God, I have given my whole life to you. And while I'm saying this, I'm also over here going, what? And I'm like laying here and going, I've given my whole life to you and you have not done this and you called us here and we don't have enough money to do this. And and I'm just like, it's coming out. And I'm having the conscious thought, I didn't even know I felt that way, okay? So I was meeting my flesh in that moment. And Grant, in true Grant fashion, is very quiet for a moment. And then he said, you know, why don't I come home early tomorrow and you go spend some time with the Lord? And I was like, normally that annoys me in this situation. I said, I think that's a good idea. Because clearly, me and God have some beef we got to work out. I didn't even know this was there. So the next day, he comes home. I drive to a parking lot in the middle of nowhere because that's my thing. It's weird. So I'm in this parking lot, this like field somewhere. And I'm uh, talking to the Lord. And I'm just going, ah, you know. And the Lord says to me, Rachel, there's a poverty spirit on you that's been on your family line for hundreds of years. And I'm going, okay, (laughs) right? Can't fact check that, so I don't really know. And he said, and I want you to be the one to break it. I said, okay. And I realized that what was coming out of me the night before was the language of the poverty spirit, right? I don't believe you, God. You're not proving yourself in the way I think you should. So I have to go do this for myself. I have to go take the job I hate at the hour of the day that I hate, and that's just how it's going to be. And so I'm talking to the Lord, and, he, and I said, well, what do I do? He said, you need to break this off. I said, okay. So I started praying, and I don't normally share a lot of these weirder stories with you, so, you know, we'll still be friends after this. It's fine, but here's what happened. I started choking. Something came over me, and I physically couldn't breathe, and I'm going, now is a bad idea. I drove to an abandoned parking lot somewhere. And I'm sitting in my car, and I physically can't even get words out. And I'm like, what am I going to do? So I'm thinking in prayer to the Lord, what am I going to do? And he said, I want you to ask the angels to come and help you. I'm like, okay. So in my mind, I still can't speak. In my mind, I'm praying, Lord, send your angels to help me. And then I could barely begin to speak in tongues, like creeping out in the tiniest little voice. And it was like this overwhelming presence of negativity in my car. And then after about a minute or two, something happened, and it lifted off of me. And I was like, and I could breathe. And the Lord began to tell me how important it was to him that our family from this point forward walks away from that mentality. I personally believe every single generation God is trying to do this. It's nothing special about me. I just had made myself a willing vessel. You guys get that? So for any of you, you may not know, I'm a first-generation Christian from my my dad's line. So the year after this happened, he actually joined Ancestry.com and started researching this and found our family line back to the year 1790. And all of them were Jewish. If you didn't know, my dad and his line is Jewish. All of them were Jewish, very poor, very miserly people. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, when you said hundreds of years, I'm actually looking at the people on this Ancestry.com thing. It was incredible to me. So that was the beginning process of, of the declaration, the breakthrough, and then the process of walking it out. It took us a little while to have to reject those thoughts, take them captive, and continue to walk in God's kingdom related to our finances. So the poverty spirit, if that's touching in you, I want to encourage you, we'll pray at the end, I want to encourage you to make sure it ends with you. You guys know what I'm saying? There's something about, especially for you guys that are moms in the room, there's something about when we, and dads for that matter, when we make the definitive statement, this is the end of all of that trauma in my family. This is the end of everything. I might not have been able to control it. I might not have been able to change, you know, like some of these thoughts are put on you before you even know your own thoughts, right? But from this point forward, I get to be the one to draw the line and say, my family from here on now is the thousand generations of the blessing, not the sins of the third and fourth generation. Amen? All right, so what is mammon? Let's get specific about mammon for a minute. Again, mammon is a principality. It's not money. So if you're reading a translation like I accidentally put on the screen and it reads God and money, just know you're reading it wrong, okay? <laughs> Got to catch my breath. I'm all worked up thinking about how much I hate Starbucks. Okay. <laughs> you can still buy us gift cards if you want to. They just go to him. Uh, all right. So mammon is not money itself. It's a demonic principality. Mammon wants you to use your money on anything but the kingdom of God. Mammon don't care. You want a pretty another Bible that you can journal in? Buy it if mammon lets you, as long as it's not helping you with the kingdom of God. That's the crazy thing about these principalities. It's an indoctrination. They give you a lot of freedom as long as you don't cross that line. Then they're going to come for you. Mammon wants you to use anything but the kingdom of God. Mammon wants to give people money who aren't interested in building God's kingdom. Have you noticed this? How many people in the world are very worldly, anti-God people, and they're loaded gazillions of dollars, right? Mammon's like, here you go, have some more. You want to win the lottery too? Here's the numbers, right? Why? Because in the spirit world, money is nothing to them. Good or bad, the, the unseen realm cannot use money. It's a tool. But they know it will amplify what's in your heart. So if you don't want anything to do with God, you just might get rich. Here's the crazy thing about mammon. If you do want to do something with God, he flips the switch on you and convinces you it's better to be poor. Just going to let that sink for a minute. So I grew up in a, in a pretty uh, upper middle class family, okay? And um, I decided at 18, I was going to take a vow of poverty. This is what you do when you're a teenager and you don't know how the world works. So I was like, I, I, I was really sold out for Jesus. And in my heart of hearts, I honestly believed if I ever had more than enough money, I'm talking about like maybe a couple hundred dollars extra, like this is what my 18-year-old mind was thinking, then I would be down the path to darkness. Why? That's mammon. If you're over here against God, celebrate it. Money is the thing everybody wants. If you're over here with the Lord, evil it's evil. Don't get it. It's crazy. Same spirit, different story, depending on what's in your heart. Here's what mammon knows. Kingdom people with padded pockets change the world. 
Kingdom people with additional resources are the most powerful force on the earth. Kingdom people who bless the efforts of the local church, who put hands in the money of the people who are solving national problems, who fix world hunger, who fix the foster care system, who fix pick the justice issue of your day. It's kingdom people that do that. And so mammon cannot allow you to believe that you can be sold out in love with God and have excess money. I'm not saying everybody should be rich. That is not the point of this whatsoever. I actually don't believe that. What I'm saying is that we have to check our heart and see what is it in the motivation inside of me. It makes me think of David Green, you know, a few years ago when the Supreme Court had done the... um, I forget what the ruling was, but it was like everybody had to offer birth control and then they had to offer plan B. And he goes with all of his resource and he goes to Washington and stands before the Supreme Court and advocates for the life of the unborn because he has the resources and the heart for God to make global change, to make national change. You can't do that if you believe you're better off being poor, if the best impact you can have is paycheck to paycheck. I'm just saying I don't believe that God is like, hey, everybody needs, you know, a Rolls Royce to be special. That's, of course, not the point at all, right? At all. But I do think we have to confront in our thinking where we put limitations on ourselves. So I love how Bill Johnson makes the statement, how much money is too much money? It's not a dollar amount. It's when do you stop trusting in God? I shared this story a couple weeks ago with you guys about the millionaire who had been a millionaire and God had told him to give everything away twice and God had replenished, he had become a millionaire three times over and he was eagerly waiting for the day that God could tell him to give it all away again. That's the picture of what it looks like to be free of mammon. Okay, told you it was gonna get practical. (laughs) Mammon does not want kingdom people to have money. Mammon's goal get you to have, excuse me, get you to want more money, get you to see money as the answer to your problems. I love that Dallas Willard quote so much. All of our human troubles come from thinking of God wrongly. Mammon wants you to think that all of your human troubles come from not having enough money. The other goal that Mammon has is to indoctrinate you to do things like find your meaning, your identity, your worth from how much is in your bank account. So some of you guys are probably sitting here going, okay, I would never serve mammon. I'm, I'm a Jesus person. I would never serve mammon, right? And I would say to you, it's a little bit easier than you think. I think there's a point where we kind of live in two worlds, like we've got one foot in the kingdom and one foot maybe still indoctrinated with mammon. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6 is you're going to have to make a choice because eventually you're going to be pulled one way or another. But I think there's times in our life where it's like the flesh. It's like we know our flesh has been crucified, amen? We know it's dead and buried. We know it's dead to us. And yet somehow we find ourselves still walking in it sometimes. It's like that with mammon. Somehow we find ourselves thinking these type of thoughts. Let me give you a couple of uh, uh, tactics that Mammon uses. Two primary tactics, fear and greed. Two primary tactics of Mammon, fear and greed. So what does fear say? Fear tells you this, there isn't going to be enough. I'm doing the math here, Lord. (laughs) And I might not be good at math, but I think this means I'm behind. Fear There isn't going to be enough. But then the greed from mammon kicks in. I don't have enough. I need more. 
I don't have enough, I need more. Both of these tactics are rooted in the same lie, which is God is not enough. I'm not saying if you're behind on your budget that there's not room to have a moment of like, ah, slow down, heart check, hone in. You know what I'm saying? That's a healthy thing, right? But where we go with that in our spirit absolutely matters. Are we taking it to the Lord? How am I going to get out of this mess, Lord? We're going to actually talk about debt in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about what's good debt, what's bad debt, how does God feel about debt, all that kind of stuff. But let's just say you have credit card debt that you can't get out of. And you're going, I don't know what to do about this. Instead of moving into the orphan spirit, I got to do this and this and this, and I can't tithe anymore, and I can't do this, and I can't do this. Move into the kingdom of God and say, Lord, you are the problem solver. What do I do in this situation? It might not be comfortable what he says, but I'm telling you he has a solution where you get to partner with him and it brings about a lot of blessing into your life. It also brings about the blessing of relationship where you get to know that your dad is standing with you, helping you out of your mess. You can't get that from the orphan mentality. All right, worry and anxiety related to our finances is how we worship mammon. Makes me uncomfortable too, it's okay. (laughs) But here's the thing, Jesus gets worship, right? And the other gods that are out there, the lesser gods, they also want worship. In fact, this is probably where the rebellion came from because Lucifer wanted worship in the same way that God got worship. So they are receiving worship from you one way or another. And the way that mammon does it is by getting you to worry and have anxiety about your finances. It makes his heart flutter Worry is worship to mammon. Why? Because you must, you must have your security found in your bank account if you're that worried about what's in there. I, I want to be honest with you guys. I know I've said this a bunch, but I don't want you to feel like I'm standing here like I'm perfect. I get it. I know the struggle is real. But the struggle is about am I going to bow to this or am I going to bow to this, right? Am I going to really let you deal with me, Jesus, or am I going to just say that but be over here doing all the stuff I'm not supposed to be doing? So we've got to give ourselves a heart check. So... All right, let's look at Proverbs 10, 22. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Um, it says, The blessing of the Lord makes us rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. I love this scripture because if you've ever known wealthy people who are miserable, have you ever, done, have you ever known somebody that has all the resources they could imagine, but they, they, they don't like their life? Could it be that mammon was who they were partnering with to accrue that wealth. It's possible. Why? Because mammon loves to give generously to people who don't want anything to do with the kingdom of God. I love this scripture because when I think about like the calling that's, that's on our life, for example, like Grant has had, I don't know, something like 15 prophetic words about using financial resources to change various aspects of the world. And we have a very clear goal of what we're working towards, of what we want to do in the longevity of our life. When we're in our 60s, the kind of impact we want to make on the world, on the Africa poverty system, on whatever, on the social justice issues of Oklahoma. And so we have a clear picture of what God has told us to do, and we're actively working hard to try to gain the money to do that. But we're working with the Lord. And the crazy thing is, there's no sorrow in it. 
As God blesses and things go well and things work well, it's, it's challenging. There's other problems that come up, but there's no sorrow in it. Why? Because our security as people is not found in what's in the bank account. I actually was really thankful when the economy tanked a couple weeks ago because I got to give a firsthand test to my own soul of do I really act like this or not? I could say it all day long, my security is not in what my investments are doing, but then when the investments are gone, then you're like, okay, was it really? So, this scripture to me is one of the ones that we almost have to memorize if we want to get free from mammon so that we can begin to identify what mammon is doing. He, God wants you guys to be blessed in a way that you have enough to meet your needs and then some. I don't know what the then some is for each and every one of us, but I know he's not going paycheck to paycheck. That's not God's heart for you. But when we begin to look at how do we make that happen, we have to remember that when God is in it, there is no sorrow in it. Okay, I want to spend just a few minutes talking about um, the idea of recompense. So I don't know if you guys have heard this before, restitution in some translations, but there's this interesting uh, thing in the book of Exodus with all the laws that God was giving to his people. And there's a book, I tried to find it to bring for you guys, I couldn't find it, but it's called The Good Fight of Faith by Alan Vincent. Anybody ever heard of this book? It is in my top five favorite reads of all time. This is a serious endorsement of this book. So it's by a guy named Alan Vincent, The Good Fight of Faith. If you're interested in gaining in your life, gaining ground in the spirit, this book is so good. And he talks about recompense in here, and he goes to the scripture in Exodus 22, and I have it, the first one of it. There's, it's echoed in multiple parts of this chapter, but I've got the verse uh, one for you guys to look at. And basically, it's this idea of what happens when someone is caught stealing from you, okay? So God created the legal system, right, to have justice on the earth, a form of justice on the earth anyway. And it says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So it's a recompense. It, later on it says, if you actually catch them in that moment, they have to give back double. And there's all these different rules about it. And the good fight of faith, Alan Vincent uses this um, perspective to say that this law is also happening in the spirit realm from the sense that we can demand the enemy to give back when he has taken something from us. And I don't have time to go through all this. In fact, I think Grant preached a message on this a couple years ago that's on our podcast, if this is interesting to you. Um, but basically, recompense is the idea of saying, I recognize the enemy stole this from my life and I'm demanding that you pay it back. Let me give you an example of how it works in our finances. I think this is really important. If we're gonna really do warfare with our budgets, then we gotta understand how to hold the enemy accountable when he does stuff he's not supposed to do. So I don't know, eight, 10, 10 years ago, 10, nine years ago, uh, we were, uh, Grant was on staff full-time as a youth pastor in our church in Norman, and there was a miscommunication between him and the accountant, and he remembers telling the accountant that he wanted the full amount taken out of his check for taxes, and the accountant remembers him saying, don't take any out of the taxes for the taxes. And so uh, in true young person fashion, April 14th, he pulls up to H&R Block to file the taxes, thinking it's all been taken out, we're just doing the paperwork, and the, the person there says, okay, you're going to owe 4000 I think it was like 325 bucks, and it was a horrible moment in the Wartman household, 
Because at this point, we were living paycheck to paycheck. We had zero savings. My parents generously bought us clothes once a year, and that's how we lived. It was great. We had no issues with it, but it was tight. So to be told you have that much money to pay when you have nowhere it's going to come from on a fixed income, it was like, oh, sweet baby Jesus. And um, it was not a pretty night in the home. We paid it, and then we spent the entire year paying it off because that's what we had to do. And a few weeks after this happened, I was talking to my pastor and uh, my pastor's wife, and I was just telling her the story because I, I was mad at God. Like, how did you not protect us from this, Lord? You know, like, this feels wrong. This is not what a good dad does. And I was dealing with that, so I was processing that with her, and she said, She's very prophetic, and she said, honestly, Rachel, I feel like this is the enemy. I feel like this whole situation was the enemy twisting and, and coming at your finances. And I'm like, is that even a thing? I didn't know at that time. And so we prayed about it and felt like God was saying, yes, this is the enemy. So God told us uh, to demand recompense, to ask the Lord to get the enemy to give us back twofold. And I did not really believe this was a thing. I'm just going to be really upfront and honest. I don't want you guys to hear faith-filled stories and be like, oh, wow, nobody that prays these prayers ever wonders if it's going to happen. Because we all do. We just don't acknowledge it, right? So in this moment, Grant and I get together. We pray. There was nothing. No fireworks. No feeling. It was completely by faith, just saying words into the air. The year goes by, and the following year, our tax return was to the dollar double what we had paid the year before, to the dollar. And it was really interesting to us because it was like God was saying, I hear you, and I pay attention to the, the details of what you're going through. I think since then, we've had recompense a lot more than just double fold from that situation, but we've had these moments happen where you're trying to obey the Lord, you're trying to give faithfully from what he's saying, you're trying to move forward in obedience, but something happens financially that like cuts it at its knees. And I want to tell you, you have permission to ask the Lord to put the enemy on the hook to give back to you what he has taken. I'm giving you permission to sort that out with the Holy Spirit and how you want to do that. For me personally, often God will say, you tell mammon directly. And I'll say, I don't want to do that, Lord. That does not feel good. But there's a lot of confirmation that comes and I'll just do it. I'll be like, all right, mammon, you have to give this back to me. And it's really awkward. But it actually works. We had a situation a few years after that happened. And someone had given us something and they changed their mind. They wanted it back. And I, I was like, what the heck is going on? And as we prayed and asked the Holy Spirit, God consistently said, this is mammon in this person causing this to happen. I said, well, what do you want me to do about it? This is the right question to ask before we just launch in and start praying stuff, right? And he said, I want you to tell mammon to let go. I was like, okay. So I did. A couple days later, I get a phone call from this person. I've changed my mind. I don't really care about that anymore. You can, ha you can actually just have it. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> is it that easy? But the thing is that we are God's children. And so when we are walking in obedience with him, when we're moving forward with him, we have authority over the spirit realm. Amen? And so when the enemy wants to come at your finances, you have authority to tell him to get his hands off. Why? Because they are not even yours. They're God's. Is this all making sense for you guys? So I don't know if anybody's sitting here today and saying, I, I've got to do spiritual warfare in my budget, or if this is just something you stow in your mind for the day to come when that happens, but I want you to feel empowered that you have authority to follow God in obedience with your money in a way that ricochets out into the spirit realm. Amen? All right. Um, a couple of potential open doors that let the enemy come in. And also, I want to say recompense is basically compensation. If you don't know that word, that's basically what it means. 
Okay, a couple of open doors. Um, we talked about this briefly a second ago, but debt. So when we go into debt, especially when God has not said to do that, we're actually in, like, in an agreement with a company we're obligated to pay, right? So debt can be. Not all debt is bad debt, but debt can be um, an open door for the enemy to gain access. Um, agreements with the enemy, like my vow of poverty, <laughs> that had to be broken because it wasn't what God had said for my life. And it took me a while to wise up to that. But when we make agreements, that is something that opens the door. And then the last one, and I just want to touch on this briefly. And, you know, again, we'll still be friends with this. You can agree to disagree. But um, if, if you have anybody in your family line that's been involved in the, in the Masonic, the Freemasons, the Masonry is one of the, like, financial issues is one of the main things that happens from spiritual fallout from people who are involved in the Freemasons. And um, Grant would love to talk to you about that in detail uh, he actually has a lot of experience praying through that kind of stuff, but um, there's others I'm sure they would love to share with that. But here's the thing. If you have like a dad or a grandpa that's been involved in that, I want to encourage you to pray over your finances and just shoo that off. <laughs> because the thing is that the, there's, there's things that happen in the Masonic Lodge, that there's agreements that are made that are passed down to the generations, and it's like that DNA being zipped up thing we were talking about before. It's like that poverty spirit or familiar spirits where they feel empowered to come at your money because of an agreement that had nothing to do with you. But the thing is, the enemy doesn't fight fair, right? And he knows you have the upper hand. So if he can keep you squashed and keep you from rising up, then you stay in this cycle of despair. But when you rise up, it might be a little chaotic for a moment, but you can step into a place where you have full authority over your finances. Thank you. Um, <laughs> all right, two more things, and then I'm going to let you guys go. It's not always warfare. When you have financial issues, it's not always warfare. So how can you tell? Okay. I'm not trying to give the devil a break, but when we mismanage our money, we can't necessarily blame the devil, right? If we make a decision to do something and then we have money problems as a fallout from that, that's not permission to say, well, this is spiritual warfare. It's, it's, it was an act of your flesh. You have to deal with that in a different way. But I'm telling you, if you'll ask the Lord, show me what's going on here. Here's an example, okay? A few months ago, this happened, I don't know, was this in the fall, I think. Um, I pay our bills. I write them religiously. I very rarely miss things except for my electric bill, which goes to Grant's email. So occasionally I'm, you know, a couple days late on that one. But all the other bills, I write checks because I'm old school. And I wrote out our mortgage, our water, everything. So, you know, I always triple check. Everything's signed. Seal it up. Stamp. Return address. The whole thing. Drop it in the mail. Two weeks goes by and I get this letter from our mortgage company that says, you have a late fee. And I'm like, what the heck do I have a late fee for? I mailed this two weeks ago. And I go on and I'm looking at the check stub. There it is on my duplicate check. Go in the bank. It's not deposited. And I'm like, what the heck? It's not deposited. Several weeks goes by. Sure enough, it was lost in the mail. Our entire month's bills were lost in the mail. So we had to issue a stop payment, this whole thing. So anyways, a few months later, they miraculously showed up like four months late. So then the next month, like four months later, I'm going, why do I not owe anything? It's because they cashed all of those checks. So uh, Grant and I are talking. He was filing for that loan thing that just happened. Wow. 
sorry, I should know the word for that. But anyways, uh, that the government did the grants thing. So he's like talking to one, a banker we have a relationship with. And the guy goes, wait a second, Grant, what happened to your credit? And he's like, what do you mean? And he goes, your credit like took a big hit. He said, it looks like you missed a whole payment on your mortgage. He's like, you guys have never missed a payment on anything the whole time I've known you. What's the deal? He goes, yeah, the mail lost it. It was like gone. I knew in my heart it was a spiritual thing. Number one, it was just creepy. Number two, it was like something in me was going, that was not right. And there was stuff happening in our life that God was speaking and moving us forward, and it was just the enemy. So we actually were instructed to petition, and we're, that's what we're doing. We brought all the stuff, petitioning the mortgage company to wipe it off of our credit. Because, And I have full expectation that it will. Why? Because I think that was the effects of mammon as we're aligning with God and moving forward. So how, I'm just getting really practical. So how do we do that? Before we interacted with the mortgage company, I prayed. We prayed. In the name of Jesus, mammon, you have to get out of the way in this situation. You are not allowed to affect our finances at all. You have to return this back to its rightful state. You have to, you know, and you have to give us interest. I don't know what that looks like, but those are the prayers. So check the source. Um, ask the Holy Spirit to show you. All right, so when you decide to live as God's steward, mammon is not going to be happy. I'm not saying expect a whole bunch of backlash. I am saying if it happens, don't be surprised, right? So, uh, so just know that. Okay, let's, let's land this bird. So what can we do to be free? You're going to make your declaration, you're gonna, and then you're going to continue to put every aspect of your life under the influence of God and repent whenever necessary, and then the third thing you're going to do is demand recompense if that's the situation that you find yourself in. So as I said at the beginning, making your declaration, I don't want anything to do with mammon, is not enough. You do have to do the follow through. You do have to say, I'm rejecting this. But I want to encourage you guys, pay attention to it. When you find yourself drifting out of the kingdom thoughts into the mammon thoughts, stop. Do what Romans 12 says. Take your thoughts captive. Renew your mind. Amen? We're going to end by, I want to read you guys uh, the activation from this book, actually, um, because I love how simple it is. This is a, you might be under mammon's influence if list, okay? So as I read these, if more than one or two of these jump out at you, even if one or two of them does, I want to encourage you to pray with sincere earnesty with me at the end as we pray together, okay? So here's what it says. You might be under mammon's influence if you think about all the things you could buy if you didn't give. You don't give in the offering because you think you can't afford it or you're afraid you won't have enough to meet your needs. You get jealous or can't celebrate someone else's financial testimony. You watch TV shows where people win money and dream about being that person. You constantly complain about the economy or the price of gas. Don't raise your hand on that one. You look for a career based on how much money you'll make rather than what God's calling is on your life. Money is causing problems in your marriage. A good deal of your thought life is spent thinking about things you don't have but that you want or things that you already have that you want more of in a new or better version. You frequently have this thought, I don't know where the money went. Remember, this is you might be under the influence of mammon if. Even though you make more money than you used to, you still don't seem to have enough. You buy things you don't need because they were a good deal. You're afraid that every preacher is out to get your money. 
Two more. You have balances on your credit cards that you can't pay off each month. And lastly, you constantly compare your clothes, tech, car, and home to your friends or celebrities and then go into debt to try to stay on trend with them. So these are just some of the things that Mammon is doing, what he's thinking, what he's projecting to try to indoctrinate you to use all of your money not for God. So we're going to take a minute to pray, and I just encourage you, you know, you're free to stand up with me if you want to, or put your hand on your heart, but make an earnest declaration in your heart if this is something that's tapping on you, because I really believe that today is kind of like a turning point in a lot of this, and I, I have said this at the beginning, but I genuinely believe God is setting us up for some great financial testimonies. I am expecting some testimonies of debt being canceled to free some of us up to do the things that God has asked us to do. I'm expecting supernatural resources to come to help you for those that are behind, but you have to be watching for it so that you don't end up spending it on what it's not for, right? When God brings that testimony to you, it's, it's for a purpose. So uh, if you want to stand up, go ahead and stand up. Otherwise, you can just close your eyes, put your hand on your heart, and um, just repeat after me. You can do it quietly, but Lord, in the name of Jesus, I make a declaration today to come out from under the influence of mammon. I choose today to give you permission to renew my mind in being a steward of your resources. I choose today to break the power of mammon's influence in my life, in my finances, in my children's lives, and in my descendants that will come from me. I choose today to end every agreement that I've made with mammon. And Holy Spirit, I give you permission to come into my life today, to come into my budget, to come into my finances, and come into my thinking to make me more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to pray over you. Father, we thank you that you have called us to be good stewards of your resources. And I ask for a blessing over every person in this room and those that are listening to this, Lord, that we would be uh, uh, blessed to understand how you are moving in our financial lives. Lord, we want eyes to see what you are doing. Lord, we are expecting financial miracles to happen. God, I'm asking for your financial angels to come and bring supernatural debt cancellation for every person that's bound by debt that is crippling their ability to follow you. Lord, we are asking for extra resources to come and help further them into the, the place where you want them to be financially in Jesus' name. And God, I'm asking that the battle that we go through to reject the poverty spirit and reject mammon in the name of Jesus, we would find that battle to be fun, enticing, and worthy of fighting because we get to do it with you. And Lord, I'm praying over every person that has been afflicted by the poverty spirit this morning. Lord, we are asking for an end today in Jesus' name. Lord, we break the power of that generational spirit. We break the power of the orphan thinking that causes us to move away from you instead of towards you. And Lord, I'm asking today that in its place, you would put a sonship revelation in each and every one of us, that you would put the understanding that we are your first 
firstborn children, that we are getting to relate to you in that way and that you are taking care of every single need that we have. I bless this body to be those who hear from you well, to be those who are full of faith and kingdom activators in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, thanks for listening. If you need additional prayer, come find us. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, we will see you next week.